Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. Today we've got a supremely interesting episode lined up. It's it's a first of the first of its kind for the VUX World podcast. We're speaking to Martin Porcheron, who is research associate in the mixed reality lab at the University of Nottingham, and we're going to be talking all about his study, voice interfaces in everyday life. Martin has put together uh, a really, really interesting uh, research study that looks at uh, user behaviour using Alexa or Amazon Echo devices in the home. We're going to be talking all about the study, the findings from out the study. Uh, and this episode is going to be really interesting for anybody who is a VUI designer, who is looking at the Alexa platform or the Google Home platform, Google Assistant platform. Um, so developers and designers who are looking to get into that space or who are in that space. There's some really interesting insights in there. And also brands who are looking to try and capitalize on this, this uh, industry as well. There's going to be some really interesting interesting uh, analysis and some really interesting insights around p- how people are actually using these devices within the home uh, and the context surrounding that as well. Martin, absolute pleasure to have you on and hello there. Hello, uh, thank you very much for having me, Kane. Not a problem, not a problem. So what we kind of typically do is just to sort of establish a little bit of context and for the people who are listening uh, to this who aren't aware of either who you are and the study and and what you do. Do you want to tell us uh, a little bit about yourself uh, and what you do at the moment, Martin? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I've recently finished my PhD. Uh, I've done that uh, at the University of Nottingham, so it's a multidisciplinary PhD, so it draws on computer science and also some other subjects, including uh, cognitive ergonomics and sociology. Um, and my work has always been about uh, examining how we use technology, such as smartphones uh, and recently the Amazon Echo, when we're socializing with other people. So when we're in places like the home or in a pub and people use their phones, um, there's often a lot of criticism of this. Um, but in my work, I've been wanting to sort of look at how this actually happens, what people are doing. Uh, and how sort of this is managed uh, in those sort of settings by people. Um, And very fortuitously, of course, the Amazon Echo was released uh, during my PhD. So it sort of slotted in quite uh, quite well to allow me to actually study that um, as as part of this program of work. Uh, And it's actually sort of springboarded into sort of the rest of uh, sort of a research program at the moment that I'm sort of pursuing uh, moving forward as well. Cool. And your PhD, what what was your PhD in? Uh, so it's well, it's in it's uh, in computer science or in in a, in a part of computer science. It's called ubiquitous computing. Okay. Uh, so it's about the study of um, sort of computers every day uh, mm-hmm. and everywhere in the world. Um, so you know it ranges from sort of studying social media to sort of technology such as smartphones mm-hmm. to studying how people sort of uh, use technology in health settings as well. Okay. So there must be quite a lot going on over there. It's at the University of Nottingham, that's right, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. So it's it's in a in a centre called the Horizon Centre mm-hmm. for Doctoral Training, uh, and it sort of has a few partner institutes as well. So it's got another Horizon Institute, um, but sort of it's, it's got quite a lot of academics, and it's linked with various different disciplines in the university as well. Mm-hmm. So again, it's all very multidisciplinary, and the focus is on trying not to um, sort of just do pure computer science work or pure sociological work, but to try and actually bring them together mm-hmm. uh, so that they can inform each other. Cool. 
That sounds good. So we'll get into the um, the study on voice interfaces in everyday life in a second. But you've also done a study before that, which was looking at the use of um, kind of mobile phones, and in, in, in particular Siri, I think it was, wasn't it? In terms of looking at how people mm-hmm. use Siri in in general conversations when they're out and about. Yeah. So this was um, it's, it was actually a fun study to do. Uh, <laughs> uh, the idea of this one was actually I wanted to see sort of how people managed. Um, sort of the notion of if, imagine if you're all sitting in a cafe and instead of typing on your phone people mm-hmm. would talk to the device instead mm-hmm. um and you know i did this in 2014 and so i had to say to people look but, you know if you're going to talk type on your device you know and you don't have to use your device i, I asked groups of people to go and, and do the study i said you don't have to type but if you do could you actually maybe try and use the voice interface instead to use siri or google mm-hmm. now or cortana mm-hmm. if anyone had a microsoft phone mm-hmm which they didn't, surprisingly. <laughs> um, uh, and I said, could you try and do this? And uh, again, I wanted to see how those interactions unfolded. Um, mm. So we had sort of a lot of sort of precursory findings actually from that, but I've sort of reinforced, like, reinforced with this second study. Mm. Um, and, you know, actually what, what's really nice is I, I did that study at the time and people said, well, you know, it's a bit prescribed or perhaps it's not the most natural because, you know, you said to people, use Siri on your phone in a cafe. And, you know, we wouldn't do that. Mm. Um, but actually what I think is quite interesting is actually we are seeing with sort of the new generation of Generation Z who are actually uh, much more early adopters of this technology. They actually seem to be much more readily using mm. uh, voice interfaces in, in, in public. And also they do a lot more videoing in public, so they video themselves. Mm. Uh, so, you know, the likes of Snapchat. So there seems to be a lot more interaction and in talking to phones in, in a different way, perhaps, to previous generations. So in some ways, I actually think the study has become more relevant um, as time gone up, has gone on. Yeah, um, so it sounds as though it was kind of a, maybe maybe a slight bit ahead of its time and now starting to find some ground because the, the, the behaviour you were trying to study is actually more prevalent now. Yes, definitely. Um, and to be honest, I wasn't you know studying to see if that behaviour happened. Um, you know, much of my work isn't really interested in sort of what happens in terms of numbers or, you know, mm. uh, what did people um, do in terms of sort of, you know, do people even use Siri in the cafe? I wasn't really trying to answer that sort of question. I was mm. trying to say, well, you know, if somebody did, how does everybody manage that interaction and how does the person sort of share it with people and how do they bring it into those inter- interactions? Mm. And sort of what you saw is, then you know, we'll get to this in, in the next study as well, is that actually when somebody is using a device um, to, talk to, to talk to it or to use it to type even, mm-hmm. is they often actually bring it into conversation some way. And that's actually, if you think about it, just sort of courtesy or politeness or, you mm-hmm. know, there's lots of reasons why you could say that is. Um, but actually I was sort of in, in this work saying this rubs up against sort of the criticisms people make. So people say it's very antisocial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, it's distracting from conversation. But actually I saw people bringing it into conversation. So somebody was saying, well, you check out this email or, you know, actually conversations led to a phone being used in the first place if somebody wanted to answer a question yeah. about the group discussing. So they used the phone. I said, well, yeah, actually, far from actually technology necessarily being outside of this setting or sort of detracting people from interacting with each other, it seems that people are bringing the technology into those interactions. Mm. Um, uh, so I was sort of trying to... Um, not necessarily talk about it in a positive term because I think there's lots of problems that go on. And sort of, if you look at the studies, you know, I, I talk, you know, a lot about sort of interactional problems and you know, people miss what is said, and you mm. know, it's certainly not trouble-free. Mm-hmm. Um, but equally, I try to say, well, you know, it's not not necessarily negative either. It's just how it is, and it's different, um, perhaps, to what people we used to do when we didn't have these technologies. Mm. Um, uh, but actually, I mean, the analogy I always use to people is if you think of somebody reading a book. 
in uh, in a cafe or something, you know, you wouldn't say, oh, that's rude necessarily mm-hmm. approach for reading. Um, because, you know, we sort of accept a book as like an old piece of technology and it's sort of embedded in yeah. lives and it's socially normal to read a book in a home or to, um, you know, to read it in a cafe. Mm. Uh, but when televisions came out, people said, oh, it was destroying com- conversation in a home and now people saying about mobile phones and I'm sure we will see in the next few years people talk about the Amazon Echo and devices like that as destroying sort of conversations in my home mm. as well um, and it's just sort of this reaction to new technology I think and sort of the changes it makes um, yeah. but yeah. I don't think they're bad and so that's actually what that study was about um, yeah I think I, I have noticed that to be honest in terms of previous you know it, when you mentioned about phones being branded as antisocial and stuff like that and you can kind of see where that comes from where people might withdraw mm-hmm. from a conversation to google something or whatever but um yep. you know i have noticed exactly what you've just said there and funnily enough i went for a, a curry a few weeks back i was with some friends and and they've just got a baby and um what before the meal arrived and stuff they were, they were kind of going to feed the baby so they had this uh, cup of uh, bowl of boiling hot water and they put the bottle kind of thing with the milk in the boiling hot water and, and usually in that situation that was where you know you would withdraw you would kind of deal with the situation over there you would pull your phone out you would set a timer and you would kind of you know extract yourself from the conversation but you know my mate he literally did exactly that you know you set a timer on his phone using uh, google assistant all whilst mm-hmm. maintaining eye contact with me and staying involved in the conversation. Yeah. So it wasn't kind of a, you know, a, a, a kind of a distraction as it might have been. It was actually just something he brought into the conversation really quickly, did something, got it over and done with, still maintained eye contact and kind of carried on from there. Yeah, no, I think it's, um, I mean, there are obviously people who will go wrong at times or people will get distracted and that's, that's everyday life. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's, um, you know, we have a very, quick reactions to new technology um, and the changes that they sort of bring in. Um, but I try to take a more sort of cautionary, let's look at the data, let's look at what people actually do mm. approach in, in my research. Um, so in my in all my studies, including the voice interfaces in mm. everyday life, it's all about let's look at the data, let's look at what people say and what people do, mm. um, as opposed to just sort of coming up with judgments mm. of it. Mm. So before we move on to the um, the voice interfaces in everyday life study, was there anything else around that first study um, looking at the use of conversational interactions on smartphones? Anything else in there that you think would, would be, uh, you know, any discoveries or any behaviours or anything like that that you found that would be interesting to, to feed into the, the conversational user interface or the voice user interface side of things? Yes, I, I think actually one of them that came from... Um, sort of looking at, at earlier early studies is um, actually screens are really useful. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll talk through perhaps later mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of the things with things like the Amazon Echo where it goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually one of the things I think I, you know, we, we see really often is that uh, sort of talking to Siri or Google now is it provides an on-screen description of what's going on so mm-hmm. you can understand. Um, and I think that's actually from my earlier study, I would say actually very um it was very insightful because actually if you compare it to um you start to see that actually screens are very useful they tell you what the system is doing you can see sort of some action going on you can see what it's heard mm-hmm. um that's very useful to users because it's sort of that feedback that sort of um you know, in terms of user experience that we, you know users crave is some sort of feedback or acknowledgement that our system is doing stuff mm. uh and, that, and that's a bit problematic in voice interface i think like the echo where it's not always obvious um what's going on Mm. Um, so that's something nice and actually um, 
you know, I, I guess the speed academia works is perhaps different to industry. Um, but, you know, one of the things you've obviously now is the new Amazon Echo. I can't remember the show. I think it is obviously has a yeah. screen on it and things like this. Yeah. Um, so actually some of the things we were talking about sort of and, and writing in papers and you think, oh, damn, they've already commercialized this idea. Yeah. <laughs> Nevertheless, it's exciting to see sort of some of your ideas that you, you propose actually become reality um, before your proposal even gets published. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it. yeah. So you're obviously, you know, along the right lines and making the right kind of analysis with some of this stuff. Um, hopefully, uh, we will see. I think time <laughs> is the best test. Yeah. So let's chat about the study then, voice interfaces in everyday life. Do you want to give us uh, an overview of what the study is and where it came from? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I wanted to sort of in my PhD, I was studying different um, different types of technologies, and I wanted to see how people interacted when they were using voice only, mm-hmm. uh, because I think voice is very interesting because it's uh, you know very collaborative. So, as two people are talking, they you know they do a lot of collaboration in the sense that you're listening to what I'm saying now, mm-hmm. and you're sort of thinking about what I'm saying. You're you're thinking about how you can interrupt or you know interact mm-hmm, or you know respond to what I'm mm-hmm. saying or ask questions. And I'm listening to how you're talking and responding and engaging with me to try to see what I could say further. Mm-hmm. It's sort of it's a very collaborative activity to have a conversation because you're always analysing other people. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, let's look at you know voice interfaces because I think these are very interesting. That technology like a mobile phone or you know a laptop, they're very personal and they're not really shared. So if I want somebody to use my phone, I have to hand it to them, mm-hmm. uh, or rotate the screen, or sort of let you sort of sit next to me and use my laptop. But voice interfaces are very different. They're very public. Um, you know, anyone can hear you talking to it. Everyone can hear a response, uh, and anyone can talk to it as well. That's the crucial thing. Is there's mm. no sort of control by one user over mm. the device. So I wanted to see how do these devices, which are actually very vastly different to sort of technology we usually actually have and usually put in our homes, uh, and understand how they work. Mm. So this study, uh, we wanted to sort of get natural Amazon Echo use, uh, and I was originally, the Amazon Echo wasn't originally available when I started this plan, um, mm-hmm. in the UK anyway. So I was originally going to try and make an Amazon Echo using their open APIs. Um, and very sort of fortuitously, uh, it was released um, just around the time when I was sort of coming up with prototypes that were rubbish and slow. <laughs> and I was like, I can't get this thing to work. And then Amazon released it sort of in a flurry in the UK. So I uh, bought two Amazon Echoes mm-hmm. uh, and I changed my prototype um, of, of an Amazon Echo clone into actually something that just recorded interactions. Um, so how it worked was, it's always listening, like the Amazon Echo, that part I'd already mastered. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I switched it, so it always kept the last minute of audio in, a, in RAM, in memory of mm-hmm. the device. So that when somebody t- spoke to an Amazon Echo, so when they said Alexa, for example, mm-hmm. I would actually save that last minute and record for one further minute. Um, and so what this really gives you is actually some really interesting sort of build up to what people say before they talk to an Amazon Echo and it also gives you how they deal with the response from it. So what I wanted to do was not just sort of capture their interactions with an Amazon Echo, but I wanted to see how they dealt with them either side mm. of it to understand the context of what those interactions were. Mm. And for this study, we gave this recording box. Um, so I had two of recording boxes mm-hmm. um, and it was just a Raspberry Pi with a conference microphone and some buttons and um, lights. And so I gave two families, uh, one of the, one uh, conditional voice recorder, as I called it, and an Amazon Echo. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I gave another two families, um, one more family. Um, and so I gave uh, the devices for a month long each, so basically use as they wanted. So they got to set up the Amazon Echo, 
uh, as if they'd bought one. So they set up with uh, a parental Amazon account. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, some of the families already had things like Amazon Prime, so that sort of helped the situation more with them. Mm-hmm. But the point was, it was meant to be entirely as the family had bought it, so they got to use it how they wanted. They got to install whatever uh, skills uh, they wanted, or to use it however they sort of let it fit into their home. Mm-hmm. And I wanted just to capture sort of those interactions um, over that sort of month-long-ish period. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was actually what the study was. You know, crucially, it was actually very simplistic in terms of. Uh, approach to getting data it was here's an Amazon Echo here's my recording box go forth and um, yeah. sort of make it to it and, and that's actually what we did so then we just got lots of data back and then it was about working out yeah, making sense of this data mm. um, of which we got so much data um, <laughs> and you know my programming maybe isn't the best and uh, you know I I, I fully accept I'm not as good a programmer in terms of voice recognition as Amazon or Google. So I actually captured too much data. My view was a bit too trick happy. Mm. So I got lots of just data back. Um, and so, you know, I accept that perhaps my work on programming a voice interface is, is needs refinement anyway. Um, <laughs> but so it looks, it looks as though you got, um, for looking at the study, it looks as though you identified, what, 883 distinct requests to Alexa. Is that right? Yeah, so actually what we did is I sort of I got lots of data back and then I sort of set about indexing a lot of it. So I tried to actually index, um, you know, I, I got data from all the families and then I went through a lot of that data from all the families and not even all of it. Um, and part of that is actually just you reach a point where you sort of you reach data saturation where, mm. you know, you keep finding new things and it just is the same as the old things. And mm. you think, well, uh, I'm one man with a computer. Um, there's only so much. There's only so many interactions with an Amazon Echo you can possibly cope to live with. Um, so actually, we selected like a, a subset of that data, which was this 833, and that was sort of like a, a big sample of um, what we had. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was added up to like 600 hours of the uh, six hours of audio from the total, which mm-hmm. was you know over 100 actually. Um, so that was like a subset, and that was really um, rich, and we'd sort of trimmed down a lot of uh, sort of extraneous chat either side. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that was sort of six hours of useful, uh, sort of really interesting, rich data. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was this 800 or so requests, and sort of that was about 150 exchanges with the Echo. So we called them exchanges, and that's sort yeah. of like a backwards and forwards talking to it. Okay. And of course, what you can already see is that means that there's already like maybe four requests in, in an exchange, which sort of already lends itself to thinking about these things is that people that like, just do one thing and then walk off. They mm. just maybe do two things with it or three things with it. Um, okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And, and and the, um, so the study you mentioned when we spoke briefly before the, um, before we kind of arranged this call that there was some stuff done over kind of like the early 90s and we'll get into the kind of results of this study and what you found but was there anything yeah. from previous studies that you'd done when you were researching this um, that was either relevant or anything that contributed to it because I know that you mentioned about there was some things around in the early 90s but then there's some stuff that was found then yeah. that, that still kind of applies today yeah so I mean the, the stuff in the early 90s was um, simulated for starters so it was um, uh, voice interfaces didn't really exist mm. Um in, in a meaningful ways back then and sort of the ones which did exist you would phone up for example for weather information and talk mm-hmm. to say, an automated weather bot on the phone and it would give back, back stuff mm-hmm. um, so they, uh, in, in the 90s sort of some researchers tried to prototype you know, what it was like if you actually talked to a sort of a more general purpose voice interface um, and sort of tried to actually 
um, you know, see how those would structure as conversations. Mm. And some of the things they did were really nice. Actually, they talked a lot about how um, you know, turns will happen with these sort of devices, and actually, that is actually how they work. So, what's perhaps quite novel about that work is actually it was very, um, you know, very early on. It was already saying this is probably how a voice interface is going to work, and and actually they do. Mm. Um, but also, they found some really nice stuff about silence, um, which. which I think is uh, very meaningful and, and people, um, you know, often we sort of look at voice interfaces and talk about how, you know, how they sound or how good they are at transcribing. Mm. Uh, but actually silent in, in human to human talk, silence is also very important. Um, so, you know, back to the conversation that you and I are having now, the fact that you are silent at certain points mm. and you say <laughs> at certain points, you know, this is actually very meaningful because it means you're acknowledging and you're responding when it's mm. appropriate. Um, and we also use silence, for example, you know, if you don't understand something, you might just sort of stare at someone in silence for a second while you're thinking, mm. and that's maybe suggests a problem. <laughs> and so with these devices, you know, back, back then, even then, people were saying, well, you know, actually when there's gaps of a silent, uh, gaps uh, in sort of talking, so they talk to the device, you know, whereas if it, with a human, you might say, oh, you know, if I ask you a question and you take two seconds to respond, that's you know, probably the limit of what I would find acceptable. Mm. If I said to you, you know, came what's for weather and you left a five, 10 second gap, I'd be like, well, did he hear? Maybe, <laughs> maybe he didn't hear. Mm. Uh, but actually with sort of devices like this, people are more tolerant of these sort of gaps. They're sort of uh, very forgiving of silence um, in, in, to a degree. And perhaps mm. it's a bit uh, more relaxed than it is with humans. So mm. you know, they allow more tolerance to sort of maybe a five second delay. But then they actually still start to reason that something went wrong uh, in the same way that humans do, mm. uh, which is quite nice. So, you know, in my data, we actually see that quite often. Um, and anyone who's used, you know, Hey Siri or, you know, Alexa uh, mm. will know that sort of you say Alexa and you stare at it. <laughs> yeah. And then you think, no, it, it, I mean, it didn't work. So you'd have to say Alexa again. And so actually one of the things they were talking about early on is actually you know, how do people treat the sort of phenomenal responses from device? Uh, because actually that's uh, very interesting in terms of, you know, could you actually use, you know, I, I posited in the paper, could we actually use silence meaningfully? Um, so in human to human talk, it's very meaningful. Mm. Could you actually make it for, for a voice interface? Um, and so that sort of stuff that was done, you know, 15, 20 years ago, and it's sort of, sort of we're still asking, or I'm still asking those sort of questions that they were sort of were starting to hint at back then mm. um, today. Yeah, only you've got, you've um, got the, the technology to actually to test it on in reality now. Yes, yes, and it's it's nice to see that actually the stuff they were talking about and the simulations they did were so realistic, actually. Um, of course, they had no idea that they would be like this, really. Uh, uh, but it turns out that um, you know, the work they did and the research they did was very thorough and very relevant. Cool. So this the study that you did then, um, looking at trying to... Um, figure out and see how people are interacting with with the amazon echo in a natural kind of home setting did, did you have any agenda going into it were you looking for anything particular or, or were you just genuinely just wanting to find, find out you know whatever whatever arose as part of the study so actually but it's the latter one and that sounds like a, i think it's a very risky strategy to do um and it's i think was the reason why this sort of research is generally done more in academia and not in industry um, and sort of not in, not in UX practices is because it is quite a high risk strategy in terms of saying, well, you know, I'm going into this with no agenda, with no um, no particular um, concern for what users actually will say or do because mm -hmm. my, interest, my interest in terms of data is actually uh, just observing to 
see what they do and to see what they say and to see how they respond. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever whatever response they do, actually, it's a very interesting response for me because you know, if it works perfectly, you know, that's actually a very great finding to sort of be able to say, mm-hmm. uh, you, know, look, you know, look how great these interactions are. Um, you know, if it doesn't work perfectly, which uh, you know, actually is often the case with any technology, mm. you know, actually you could say, well, look, you know, maybe here's some problems that actually happened and here's where they struggled and here's where they were shouting at it and, and things like this. So going in with no agenda actually sort of, um, because we're not really interested in testing voice interfaces as a thing, we're just interested mm. in see how users deal with them, um, you know, actually sort of yielded a lot of interesting findings anyway. Um, yeah. Cool. So, so the study. So you had a, a number of different families. You've given them all Amazon Echoes. You've set them up. You've told them to go about their normal daily lives and incorporate the usage of the Echo into their lives as much or as little as they see uh, to be naturally fit. You've got your um, your device, which is there to record a minute. The, the conditional voice recorder, which is going to essentially always listen and as soon as it hears the wake word the alexa wake word it will store one minute of that previous kind of build up to the, to the wake word and then also one minute afterwards that's that setup's mm-hmm. right isn't it yeah that is and it actually extended the recording so if they said alexa in that following minute it would sort of add an extra minute to its recording so ah, it always got okay. like a minute always got a minute after the last request yeah so you've got that and you've you've churned out quite a lot of data and um, you then set about trying to analyse it. And when you're going through that kind of analysis, what were some of the, um, you know, what were some of the things in there that you found, you know, interesting or surprising or, or kind of useful? Mm-hmm. So one of the things we see often, um, and this is actually very uh because of the way we captured data, this is actually a fairly unique finding. So we saw a lot of failure, a lot more than normal people see with the Amazon Echo. So normally people give like failure rates between 20 and 30%. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's because these devices struggle to sort of always understand you. There's always some background noise uh, and actually mistranscription errors. Sometimes you say the wrong words. Uh, well, you know, the internet could be down. You know, there's so many mm. factors involved that lead to this sort of error rate. But actually, what we saw is actually it's a lot higher. It's actually probably we found close to 40 or 50 percent in our data. Okay. And the reason for that is actually you see a lot of times when people say Alexa uh, and it doesn't respond or, you know, they'll say, um, you know, what's the weather, Alexa? And you think, well, actually, you know, maybe the devices should respond to that. It's me, me talking to a device, me trying to get it to do something and it doesn't do it. Mm. Um, so, you know, maybe that's an error as well. So if you start to be sort of perhaps defining error not as a system error, not as a, as a problem with a device, but a, a problem where the user can't get the device to work. Mm. Um, and that's sort of what we said is, you know, if you view this as getting this device to do something and it doesn't do it, that's probably an error in, in sort of some definition. Mm. And so in that sense, actually, there's quite a lot of error rates. So you see in, in for the data, we have a lot of repetition of requests. So people will say stuff and then they have to say again. Uh, or, you know, people rephrase what they say. So they will say, you know, start this and it won't do it. So I'll say, you know, open this or play this. And, mm. you know, it starts to cycle around. You can start to see people reasoning about why it went wrong uh, and actually trying to sort of rephrase their query. And they also used you know, pros- prosody or prosody, um, you know, to uh, pronounce things differently. So they'll start saying, you know, start this you know, as, it, as if the device, you know, mistranscribed it. So actually what, what you see in the data so much is so much repetition and rephrasing to, 
to get it to work. And that's actually quite interesting because um, you know, I, I talked to some voice ex, uh, user experience practitioners uh, or to user experience practitioners last week and some of them were interested in voice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the one of the things that um, sort of there are some web people there who do build websites and they were saying to me, well, you know, they, it was a conference where they were talking about sort of the buy-in and they say, well, of course, you know, users, um, you know, at the start of a journey have very little buy-in. So once they start using something, they're not very invested. So if there's a problem at the start of sort of a form filling in, they might give up. And if mm. it's a problem near the end, they might try and resolve that problem because they've mm. bought into it and, mm. you know, they're there. And then you think, well, you know, with a voice interface, you've actually bought the Amazon Echo. It's in your home. Mm. You know, actually, so the buy-in has already happened. So what you see is almost immediately people are doing this trying and trying again thing. They don't give up very easily. Um, And that that was quite nice to see because, uh, you know, you could say, well, maybe it's because it was a study and they were being good. And, of course, that's true. But then I didn't actually talk to my participants for four weeks. And, you know, they didn't really see me. I mean, I never Mm. bugged them to say, could you make sure you were using this? Um, so actually, they they voluntarily just sort of kept sort of going with these things. So often, when people wanted to say, you know, uh, you know play a particular skill on the Amazon Echo, or they wanted a football score, you know, they might say England football score, and if it didn't respond, they might try and change the words they use, like what's the England football score, or mm. sort of to see if it was actually their problem or the devices. And you know, maybe after two or three times, if it didn't work, they would give up then. Um, but actually, sort of a lot of the time, you see a lot of people trying to do reasoning about why things go wrong and trying to repair sort of the problems they have. Mm. And I think that was actually the biggest takeaway for me. What, what in terms of people trying to figure out amongst themselves what, what's been going wrong? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and I actually said, so I wrote this into a paper because I was trying to sort of, you know, I, you know, academic papers could be quite long, so I try and put in some some like popular cultural references or, or mm. you know, sort of normal phrases. And I said, you know, it's like the old adage of sort of, if it's for first you don't succeed, try and try again. Mm. Um, and, you know, and actually I put that in there because I think it's very crucial. That's actually what you see people doing is you know, if they don't get it right first time, they don't just back away. They don't just say, oh, you know, it doesn't work or you know, maybe I need to go and consult a manual. They actually just try again. Yeah. Know, they're out of the device. They're, they're talking and they'll just repeat their request or, or change it somehow. And I think that's actually a really um, useful finding for designers to think about as well in terms of, because of course, if you design for the Amazon Echo, you get the requests that people are making to it. And so it's important to look at these requests and think, well, you know, are these going to be repeated or, you know, mm. what does repetition mean? Uh, so I think there's lots of inroads into understanding sort of how these devices are used um, and that, that designers can harness um to improve the design of future skills or the overall experience. Mm. That's interesting that because it's, I mean, in the study, we'll link, we'll link to the study in the show notes. It's a, it's a, you mentioned that academic papers can be quite kind of long winded and, and kind of boring, but this one isn't at all really. It's, it's, it's written in a way that's actually, it's almost like a big long article that you can kind of, you get really into and you can kind of, you know, it's a really interesting kind of study. So, and within there, there is, um, You've you've kind of put little transcripts in there, haven't you? And, and you've kind of like mm-hmm. summarised some of the conversations that people were having to to kind of obviously build the analysis around. And some of the examples you give around that kind of point that you just made in terms of people rephrasing what they said. It's interesting because the the um, example one of the examples is where they're trying to get the beat the intro game to work mm-hmm. and you know in the presumably it's a fictitious family that you've kind of created you've got carl and susan who are the parents and emma and um is it luke was it who was the son 
Liam. Liam, sorry, Liam, yeah. Um, yeah. And the, 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 there's a kind of exchange that's going on around the table and they're all trying to get Pete the intro to work. Uh, and they're also the same with the family quiz. And one of them saying, set a family quiz. The other one saying, start a family quiz. And the other one saying, make mm-hmm. me a family quiz. And it's kind of, it's interesting from that perspective because yeah. for, for skill designers and, and voice application designers who are, you know, creating third-party applications on these devices, that what you call your thing is so crucial, isn't it? Because this family seemingly think it's called family quiz or beat the intro, and they're persistent with the the name of the the skill, even though for in the family quiz example, that might not actually be the name of the skill, but they're still persistent and trying to figure things out, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, and and I think this comes back to a point I said earlier about um, the the lack of a screen actually, and, and things like this. So if you have a screen, you can reference it, or sort of. If you think of your phone, you can. If you can't remember what an app is called, you might flick through the screen of icons to to see the list, and you mm. might recognise the icon, or you might read the names and think, "Oh no, it's that." But of course, when it comes to talk um, and voice interfaces, it's very different because you that, that recall is sort of ordered on people's memory. So sort of the request they have to do to start the skill is really sometimes hard. You know, people can't remember what what, what phrases they have to use, and they can't remember what the app is called. And if you don't play an app uh, too often. Or you know, if if you say, well, you know, this is a quiz app, um, you know, they, they might have some sort of brand name for that, uh, but you know, people don't always remember and don't always recall, and then it's very problematic in trying to diagnose why the device doesn't open it. So if you think of, um, you know, what's a Facebook? You know, the example of you know, I think, um, you know, you know, we all know Facebook and you know the app and we know what it's called, but mm-hmm. it, imagine sort of it's two thousand nine. Um, you know, when, when sort of that word isn't in common use, like if you think well, you talk about social networks, you know, people would only really know MySpace, and if you talk to your parents, they'd know MySpace or Bieber mm. or whatever, but they really wouldn't know what Facebook is. Um, so, you know, brand names actually, um, and the name of skills is very important because sort of if you don't have a skill that's sort of common language, you know, if you don't have a name that's sort of um, you're well known, like um, you know, uh, Facebook is now. You know, mm. If I said to my friend. I'll talk to you on Facebook. You know, now they understand what I mean, or you know, hmm. I saw this on Facebook. People know what it was, but you know, back in 2009, people were like, "What's he on about?" Like, and hmm. so names are actually very important because um, unless you've got sort of a lot of brand recognition uh, and sort of uh, people easily recall what you are and, and how to use you, it's very problematic. And so, what happened here with family with, with the family quiz, for example, is they were trying to use a skill called Quizmaster, um, right? And they just couldn't remember. They just couldn't remember what it was called. Like it's a, it's a trivia quiz, and so you know they kept saying, you know, I want a family quiz, and you know, set as a family quiz, and you know, start a family quiz. They really just couldn't recall what it was. It wasn't a, a name that was sort of common to them. Like, you know, what's a quiz master? Um, mm. You know, back to my example, um, and you know, they didn't really understand what they were doing. So the only way they resolved that, um, and it's it's not really the papers. There's there's longer transcripts which are linked to at the end of the paper. Um, mm. So sort of a paper has sort of excerpts from the transcript. And the longer one, actually what happens is the mother um, actually goes into the Amazon Echo app on her phone and finds the skill name. So that's, right. that's the way she has to resolve it. She has to actually go in and say, you know, Quizmaster, and she can say, you know, start Quizmaster. And it works perfectly. Hmm. Um, but of course, actually, this, this sort of, when you're dealing with voice um, and when you're dealing with sort of brand names, which is what skills are, um, it's, very, it's very difficult to recall um, always what's going on unless it's a common name. Yeah. So that's 
um, people struggling to remember what's going I mean, that's interesting that because presumably, and this is where third party skill developers won't have any control over, but from Amazon's perspective, if there's anybody who works on the Alexa platform listening to this, then out of that, what you could tease as a potential solution or, or something that might help people remember what uh, that those skills are. Because in one of the transcripts, um, the Carl, the father, when they're trying to find beat the intro, he's saying in between the, um, and we can get onto this uh, in a second, in between someone trying to kind of call on Alexa, he's saying, is it actually called beat, beat the intro? Is that what it's actually called? And then he's saying, mm-hmm. oh, we played it the other night. So presumably yeah. for people who are working on the Alexa platform, maybe there's an opportunity there for a feature whereby if Alexa doesn't recall what you're saying, but it thinks you're talking about a skill, then potentially suggesting here's, I don't know what you're saying, but here's some skills that you've played over the last week or so. Uh, is it Quizmaster? Is it beat the intro or what have you? Um, just a way of trying mm-hmm. to prompt people to then have them you know, not have to take out the phone to, to try and figure out what's going on yeah no this is um that's a very good idea and i think actually so a lot of this comes back to command line interfaces um you know the, the same sort of problems that command line interfaces had with uh, users and why they struggle to get mass adoption mm. is of course recall is a real problem in that you know if you look at a, a command line it just has that arrow you know and, and you're like what do i type now like where do i go yeah um and that's where GUIs are different in that, you know, when you look at a GUI, you see, if you think of like a Mac, it has the dark or windows, it has a start menu. You know, you can actually sort of, it's giving you things to do. It's telling you like all of these things, these are apps you've installed. Like, mm. So you think, well, if I want to do, you know, if I want to browse the web, I can see which browsers I have installed or you know, hmm, I want to write a, a text document. Well, you know, you can actually see which programs you have without really recalling their names necessarily. Mm. And you can sort of work it out. Um, whereas with a command line or a voice interface, it's very difficult to know what you've got uh, installed, what what's possible even, um, you know, what's installable. Um, and so there is a real sort of discoverability problem here. And Amazon currently deal with this by sending emails to people and saying, hey, you know, these are related skills or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, maybe we'll, we'll come to this later, but you know, I think, I think uh, one of the things that we say in the paper a lot is actually that these aren't, uh, single user devices and that sort of that idea of emailing the device owner mm. a list of commands is actually sort of not very useful when this device is not designed for just the device user it's not devi- you know the person who set up the device isn't the only person who's going to be able to use this yeah um, so, so there needs to be better ways of supporting sort of anyone who comes into the house or sort of is in the living room with the amazon echo you know how do they discover what they can do with it um, yeah absolutely and there's there was a interesting another interesting thing that was that was found in there was that a lot of, you mentioned that the just then that these things are typically used by more than um more than one person and in the family example you've given one of the challenges that presumably that you'd found and I wonder if you can speak a little bit about it is that Alexa is trying to be called upon in and amongst quite a busy conversation. And I wonder whether that's got something to do with with some of the failure rates that had happened. So the example I'm looking at here is the one where they're trying to they're trying to enable the beat the intro skill, and uh, it's uh-huh. not working. And, and the mum tries to do it and it doesn't work. And then the daughter said, "No, nope, she didn't like that." And then she tries to have a go. Yeah. And then the dad's like, "Is it called that?" And this kind of as she says, Alexa, the dad's interrupting, saying, "Is it called that kind of thing?" And there's quite a lot yeah. of going on, isn't there? Quite often. Yeah, no, so I mean, we say this in the paper, that sort of the, the Amazon Echo's 
brought into the hurly burly of home life. Like you know, it's, it's you know, homes aren't stale environments. Hopefully, yeah. anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, actually, you always have lots of things going on. If you have, you know, if you think of pets, or you know, you have cooking going on, or it might be television or radio. If it's conversations, you're eating dinner. You know, things happen when you're eating dinner. You might drop a fork. You know, actually, it's a very active sort of setting with lots of things going on. Sort of, mm. if you have multiple people, they're all doing their own thing. Uh, and then, of course, what you throw into that mix is somebody trying to talk to a device that is really currently designed for one person talking it in into a very um, sort of solitary way. So they're designed for you know minimal background noise and mm. um, sort of you know, just focused interaction with it. So mm. it's designed so that you sit in front of it, go "Hello, Alexa," and you know what, what. And then once you start to actually put it in reality, once you put it to a setting where you have all of these things going on, you start to see sort of a breakdown of you know, of those interactions with Echo because it doesn't always deal very well with background noise. And that's a limitation of all technology in, mm. you know, all microphones. And, um, you know, I, I was transcribing data in the study. Um, so I was listening to audio clips and trying to sort of get detailed sort of chronological, um, you know, talk what's happening. Mm. And of course people talk over each other all the time. So when one person's talking, another person will start talking, they butt in. And I was going through these transcripts at a very slow pace. So, you know, I, uh, a five-minute transcript could take me half an hour plus mm. to, to, to sort of get down on paper. And it's really hard, even there's points in those transcripts where I just can't hear what is said. You know, mm. I listen to it and, you know, I've listened to it 10, 20 times and I still can't hear what is said. Mm. And, you know, I presented audio and, you know, I presented it and you know, I'm like, this is time 100 I'm listening to this. I still can't <laughs> hear so actually, you know, hearing what is going on is really, really hard uh, when there's lots of things going on, lots of people talking at once, uh, and distinguishing different voices is a is a challenge for humans, let alone then machines, which have to sort of try and cope with that as well. So mm. I, you know, it's, I don't think it's you know in, in the sense as well. You know, this is where I pivot and say I'm not trying to critique the Amazon Echo in my work. I'm not trying to say you know, it's, mm. it's a bad product. So I don't think it is. I think it's a, it's actually what it does is it does very well. Um, but what we're trying to say is actually these challenges are very hard. Mm. Um, but actually, as designers, can we think about them? Because, you know, we can't necessarily get rid of these problems and or certainly won't be getting rid of them anytime soon. So how about, can we think about the requests we make? Can we make them sort of maybe quicker or, you know, easier to be said in those sort of settings? Mm. Um, you know, what, what, what does it mean for a designer of these requests to consider the fact that in the home is very multi-activity? Um, and you know you do have this thing where, you know, as you were saying, like the mother is talking to him as an echo, and then she, the dad is talking to the child, and then the mother talks to a child, and then talks to him as an echo again, and there's sort of a lot of conversation going on. Mm. And what, you know, what does it mean as designers to make sense of this sort of um, craziness that sort of happens in everyday life? And that's just normal behaviour in a home. You know, actually, I think, um, you know, one of the nice things is all this data is very routine. Like there's nothing in my data that is. You know, people didn't sort of have parties around the Amazon mm-hmm. Echo. They didn't say, oh, come around, play with my Amazon Echo. <laughs> you know, actually, this was, this was all stuff that was just happening in their everyday life. So they're eating a meal together in the evening or, yeah. you know, in, in the example you talk about, you know, it's Mother's Day. So they're just having a meal together, um, you know, dining table. That's sort of routine behavior. Um, and, you know, and then you throw into this Amazon Echo, which sort of struggles really to cope with these sort of settings at times. Mm. Um it's interesting that there's, there's there's a few things out of that then i think that that you know designers and developers can, can pay attention to one is we've mentioned the the 
what you call your skill and, and recall being a, a, a real kind of challenge. Um, so giving it, giving it a name that is easy to remember in some way of maybe even following up with people after they've used it, which I know notifications are an issue at the moment on the platform. Um, another thing then potentially that if, if these things are being used in and amongst the, to use your words, the, the hurly, hurly and burly of kind of modern kind of life, then, uh-huh. Then the I think you mentioned that the, your responses should be kind of succinct and, and trying to fit within what could be a fairly crowded um, environment. Some of the other things that that you'd found, I'm wondering if you can speak to to this point, which um, one of, it's it's all around the kind of political control area. Um, yeah. So I wonder if you can speak a little bit about what you mean by political control and how that affects people's interactions with uh, with these voice first devices. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's it's little p political. So it's mm-hmm. um, you know, talk about actually the fact that um, you know these devices are multi-purpose, multi-party devices in that sense that they, you know, no one person controls the device. Uh, if you think of a television, you know, there's usually a remote, so one person mm-hmm. has some sort of control. And you know, if you want to control the television, you have to negotiate with that person to get the remote, and then you have control of it. Mm-hmm. And if you think of your mobile phone. Um, you know, you actually have generally have complete control over it. And if you want anyone to sort of see it, you have to sort of share it with them or sort of they have to ask you. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the voice interface, sort of the, the change is uh, quite dramatic in the sense that actually all of that interaction now just happens with the Echo directly. So it's sort of regulated in, in the home as part of uh, home life. So what, what we mean by this is the social order of the home, so we have our parents or children, um, you know, visitors, these sort of things actually certainly really matter with these devices in terms of that they can't just expect that the control will happen, you know, the person will be able to control who uses the device mm. um, anymore. So, you know, with a mobile phone, if you visited my house, Kane, you know, I wouldn't expect you just to walk over and pick up my phone and start <laughs> going through, you know, my text messages or whatever. It'd be a very weird thing and, you know, that's not how those things work. Mm-hmm. But of course, you could walk into my house and you could just use my Amazon Echo. And, you know, there's actually, uh, so the only thing that stops for sort of you doing that is actually the social order of, of the home. You know, it's not a technical reason. So you can't use my phone because it'd be my pocket and mm. it's locked and all of these things. Um, there's technical things that stop that from happening. But actually, you could walk into my home. You could talk to my Amazon Echo. Uh, you could just sort of start asking questions. And actually, that becomes a problem because actually that means now as designers, we have to think, well, actually, you know, the person who's talking to this device might not be the person we think they are. Mm. And you think, well, that doesn't matter. Most of the time, that doesn't really matter because, um, you know, most of the Amazon Echo stuff, it's fun and games and stuff. But what if these devices start being used for things like giving meter readings, uh, which you know, I saw Eop talking about you know, about a year ago. They were saying, well, what if people gave meter readings for a voice interface? Mm. Uh, because, you know, you have your head, your head in a cupboard. What if you could just shout out for meter readings to your Amazon Echo? Mm. And it updated your account. If it, that's great, but actually, what happens is now, what if I walk into your house and suddenly give some false read, meter readings to mm-hmm. it? Um, and yeah, actually, this, uh, what we're talking about with this point is, and so we don't elaborate on it too much because I think um, sort of you could propose twenty or thirty different sort of caveats and mm-hmm. solutions. And you know, what we actually say is, that actually, the control of these devices now is all regulated in and through the social interaction of a home. Mm. So, you know, what stops what stops me doing that isn't for device anymore. It's you. You know, you would stop me walking into your house and shouting meter readings at your device. But actually, there's no way for the device to actually do that anymore. You, mm. you can't 
put it in your pocket, you can't turn off. So it's actually again thinking about as as designers, you know, what does this mean for for requests that we're making? You know, will visitors walk in and just say inappropriate things? And you know, I actually have, um, you know, there's, there's participants at the time. Yeah, Amazon Echo was a novelty in the UK as well. It just launched. Mm. Um, so you actually had a lot of people doing you know, rude things with it and having fun. <laughs> and then the owner, you know, if somebody would walk in and say. Um, you know, you know what's the definition and of you know, and let's say a particular word or whatever. Um, you know, I, I'm a researcher, so feel free to bleep this. But you know, if somebody would walk in and say, "The way Amazon Echo, what, you know, what's the definition of a blog job?" And of course, then you, what you have is the owners then respond to it. They go, "Oh, for God's sake, why did you say that?" But of course, actually, that's something, that's actually something really interesting to think about because now that's tied to the owner's Amazon account that they've made this request to a device, and you think, "Well, what, you know, what does this mean?" Because it's just assuming that actually the person who's using the device is controlling it. And actually, that's not the case anymore. Um, mm. When it's through voice, anyone can use the device. Uh, it's available to everyone around you. Uh, and yeah, another example is I had one in my office. Um, uh, so when I was developing with technology, I had it just sitting on my desk. And people thought it was funny just to sort of say request to it. And they kept asking for audio books. And so they, you know, they asked for the audio book uh, of uh, Mein Kampf. Um, which, you know, as a joke, and, and they, you know, they wanted to see what it said, and you know, this is what people do with these technologies. They push for limits to see what it will say mm. um, and respond. And they said that you think, well, nothing of it. You think, oh, it's just a joke. They're just trying to see what will happen. And it said to me, oh, you know, you can get this audio book on audible.co.uk, anything, fine, whatever. Um, and then I go onto my Facebook, and of course, I go onto Amazon, and I, I, I now have stopped being advertised for, for the bloody <laughs> book. Because, of course, what happened is, although it was sitting in my office, it was just available. You know, I I didn't think at the time. I you know, I didn't actually reason. Well, actually, you know, what's being said to this device is attributed to me. Um, but actually, I'm not really controlling it. It's 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 controlled only in sort of through people negotiating with each other about access to the device. You know, it's controlled by the fact that I assume that people won't want to pr- play practical jokes on me, which <laughs> turns out not to, not to be true, unfortunately. Um, and you know, we have a lot of practical jokes in studies as well so you know, that, that family you were talking about that's in the paper uh, the children use the shopping this feature to add things that they want so they add things like an xbox and a playstation to it and the mother has legitimate purchases on her shopping list so you know in between things like bread and rosemary there's an xbox on the list um and, and so actually the, the interaction is very different again and so you know not just for the fact that it's through voice and not just through the fact that people forget what they say there's a transience to voice uh but actually the, the the point of this is the control of these devices is very different. And as designers, you need to think about, you know, do I know who's saying what to this device? And um, you know, actually, well, what does it mean? Because in, you know, that's very different to using a phone or using a laptop or using a television, mm. for example. Mm. That's interesting. That. It's, it's, a, it's a completely different kind of device, I think, that we've probably never... There's nothing of its kind, is it, really? I mean, usually... You know, as you say, you've got your phone, it's in your pocket, it's locked, or you've got a remote control, it's on the arm of the chair, and it's in the possession of someone, whereas these devices are very much out in the open for, for anybody to kind of um, speak to and access, and obviously if everything's then attributed to the Amazon account of the person who owns it, then uh, yeah, I can see how uh, I can see how the trouble may arise. One, one of the other things that, that you found, which I think was quite interesting as well, is you, speaking of kind of trouble, how and you touched on it briefly at the, at the beginning in terms of how silence can sometimes mean um, that there could potentially be 
trouble in terms of the uh, request being kind of um, understood or, or kind of you know the, the device doing its thing. Um, and one of the the kind of findings that that you'd found, which I'm wondering if you can speak to, is the the kind of I think it's phrased as the role of responses from VUIs as an uh, mm-hmm. interactional resource for further action. So, what do you mean by by the concept of that kind of further action? So sure. So it's um, if you think of uh, a conversation again. So actually, I, although you know, I, I argue in the paper that these devices aren't conversational, mm. uh, but actually it's useful to think about conversation here because if you think of when I'm talking to you, you listen to what I say, um, and then you sort of use think use words that I say uh, to ask more questions, and you sort of have this sort of coherence of um, sort of trying to build upon what goes on to move the conversation forward. Um, with the Amazon Echo, and sometimes this happens, sometimes it doesn't, uh, when it responds to what you say, sometimes it's really hard to know what's going on because it doesn't necessarily build in some coherence. So in the paper, we have examples where you know somebody says, set as a family quiz, and the device responds um, you know, quite bluntly. It says, sorry, I can't understand the question you've asked or I can't find the answer to the question you asked. Mm. And the people don't really understand that response. It doesn't really make sense to them because they didn't ask a question. Um, you know, they didn't. Uh, they don't know what the device has understood. You know, I didn't ask a question, so why does it think it was a question? Mm. Um, you know, what, what do they do with that action? And so when we're saying about a resource for further action, you know, we're saying, well, how could the device help the user move that interaction forward? So how how does that response, in, in this case, for example, help the user do the next thing? Because in reality, it doesn't really tell them what went wrong. So how do they refine, refine their query? How do they rephrase it or sort of repeat it? You know, how do they know it's just the fact that maybe there was a system error, maybe it was um, you know, a transcription error, maybe it was a word set or us or ah or family quiz? Mm. You know, which word that went wrong? And so that's quite a problematic response because it doesn't sort of give a resource to the user to do something with it. Mm. Um, but then we actually see it another time, for example, so there's a beat the intro um, example is quite nice. So, um, you know, one of the family members says to the device, uh, play beat the intro, and the Amazon Echo responds and it says to the user, did you mean, uh, or, or you want to play a station for BB intro, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of you think, well, that's a bit of a weird response. But actually it's quite interesting because it does several things. It tells a person play uh, a station for so, so it's telling the person well actually you know i've interpreted this as a request for music mm-hmm. and actually so maybe we just could think well maybe the word play is wrong maybe i shouldn't have said play beat the intro because the device is interpreting this as music mm-hmm. and it also builds in what it transcribes so it heard bb intro which after much googling i think is big brother intro um, <laughs> i'm not quite sure i <laughs> But I, I, that's the only thing I could come up with, perhaps, what the device thinks it is. It searched its Amazon Music Library, and that's what it thinks it is. <laughs> but it actually builds in what it heard as well. So actually, the user knows that to, you know, could take away two things from that example, which is maybe the word play is problematic uh, and not the right word, and maybe it mistranscribed beat the intro to beat the intro. So maybe I need to put more emphasis on how I pronounce it, um, because actually it's not that it 
can't find beat to intro is that it actually didn't transcribe those words correctly. Mm. So that's a response that sort of does a resource for further action. And then it asks a question to the user as well. So it says, at the end of it, it says, right. Uh, and the user can just respond saying, no, I didn't. And then they can say, you know, they can repeat their request again mm. uh, with maybe a different word or more pronunciation of the different sounds. Um, and so, you know, conversely, compared to the first one, which sort of just is a dead end, you know, there's nowhere to go for a user. They just have to sort of take a stab in the dark at how to fix the problem. Mm. Um, you know, with this other one, actually, the user gets information that they can do something with. And so that's what we're talking about here with this uh, in terms of helping users. Um, you know, if the aim of the game is to actually help users get stuff done, um, which is very much what these devices are sold as. It's basically sold as butlers that you know, can do things for you. Mm. And, 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 and you know, if that's the aim of the game and if it's a computer that can do things through voice very easily, then we need to think about the responses we give, what can we actually allow people to do with them? Mm. Uh, because it's a lot more important than just saying, sorry, I, you know, I didn't, get, didn't get the answer. Because although it's polite and um, you know, this comes back to the conversational point, you know, it's a very sort of conversational response. Mm. In, in the sense of it's very chat chatty and friendly, but actually it's not very useful to users. Um, you know, they're using a technology, they're not having a, a, a chit chat with a computer, they're actually trying to get something done with it. Mm. Um, so actually instead of focusing on a friendly response, could we focus on you know, a meaningful response that gets them somewhere else? Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting point that because a lot of a lot of the well, th this is exactly what they're branded as, isn't it, all of these smart speakers? They're branded as conversational agents and conversational mm -hmm. user interfaces. Um, and yep. that is, again, one of the things that you'd found is that um, you had some concerns regarding <clears throat> the framing of VUIs as conversational. Um, so you're in your kind of, in your eyes and in the study's eyes, these are very much things to, to kind of um, get stuff done as opposed to having conversations with, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you, you, you know, people are making these for as companions for you know, the elderly. So there's a lot of research into sort of voice interfaces where they might be able to help, be, you know, people who are lonely. Uh, yeah. But actually, the things like Amazon Echo, they're not like that. So, you know, the Google Home is not designed to be a companion. It's it's actually designed as a, a computer that does stuff for you. Um, and so, actually, you know, one of the things we say is actually, you know, calling it a conversation. You know, actually. You know, the responses it gives aren't very conversational a lot of the time uh, in the sense that they don't make sense uh, in a conversation. So if mm. I said, you know, Kane, start beat the intro, and you said, I can't find the answer to that question, you think, and I'd say, well, I didn't ask a question. You know, <laughs> but were you even listening? Like, that doesn't really make sense in a conversation. It's incoherent mm. as, a, as a conversational thing. So, you know, there's already questions of, you know, this device isn't really like a conversation. It doesn't have that sort of sense that humans do in terms of making um sense of what we're saying and you know they don't build upon you know the amazon echo doesn't remember what you said 10 minutes ago and mm. uh, so if you if you said to amazon echo you know play that game again you know, it doesn't necessarily respond the way you expect because it doesn't have that coherence that sort mm. of human conversation does mm. um and also in terms of you know actually our design points um you know we say actually it's much more logical to treat this as sort of sort of request response design because that's actually what users are doing with it is you know they request a, a, a answer to a question or they request a skill and the device responds and then if it goes wrong they basically start again mm. you know in they might re revise what they do or something um but actually there's no sort of conversational coherence there's no um you know uh greater context to these devices um 
and so with this sort of we're saying well maybe conversation is a bit of a misnomer mm. because it's sort of mis- it's sort of making it into something that's a lot more fanciful and a companion um but actually people aren't buying them for companions they're buying them as a, as a computer that does stuff mm. so if you treat it like that as a designer as well and you know manufacturers are at fault for this because you know, Google and Amazon and, and Apple all talk about them as you know, talk to it as you would a friend. I, I remember a long time ago, the Siri website used to just say, you know, talk to Siri as you would talk to a friend. And you mm. think, well, you know, I talk quite quickly and I talk about a lot of things to my friends. You know, mm. But I bet if I tried to talk to any of them to Siri, you really wouldn't get it, actually. Mm. And that's because it's not really in reality, although they say that and that's a very nice marketing phrase, it's actually not reality in terms of what these products are. They're actually just getting stuff done machines mm. um and so we we, we thought conversation is this like ideal you know, confection that we will aim for maybe one day maybe we will have that one day and that would be sort of quite quite amazing um but actually uh you know as designers at the moment we need to realize and, and sort of sort of not drink the kool-aid um as mm. it were mm. and say well actually they're just you know at, at the simplest level it's a sort of backwards and forwards um your exchange of request and response mm. that's a, a really good um really well put that actually and i think that as designers and developers if you you know take that limitation of the the hardware and software that, that's built into these things instead of trying to be conversational and instead try and focus on um allowing people to get stuff done being short and succinct and, and having it more of a request and response style design as you just mentioned then you know presumably these devices will start you know providing more and more value to people if they can get from them what they need to get from them and i think you've, you've kind of summarized that really well there um is there any other things before we wrap up is there any other points in the study that, that we have haven't covered that you think would be helpful or useful for for developers and designers or even brands who are considering getting involved in this space um, i think we've actually covered quite a lot of it um you know, I, I you know i wrote a lot of sort of preparatory notes for this for her and we said we wouldn't go through but i think actually you know maybe we've talked very quickly but actually i think we've actually covered a lot of it um quite well um and i think you know what i would say to people is you know, we have a lot of, you know, the paper is very interesting, but it actually the core of the paper is looking at data and describing data. Mm. Um, and and I, I, I would urge brands um, and, you know, and UX practitioners, and I'm sure many people do this uh, already, but I think one of the greatest things that we sort of did in this research was we sort of left users to their own devices. So we didn't really create tasks for them mm. um, and stuff. And you start to really see just how um, and when people actually use these devices. So, you know, there's a lot of incipience um, to how they use it. So uh, what we mean by this is, you know, somebody might be just walking by the Amazon Echo um, and, you know, they'll just see it out of a corner of their eye and they'll just say, you know, I, I want some music or, you know, things like this. And so one of the things that we thought, well, actually, you know, think about actually how, you know, people don't prepare much to do an Amazon Echo rest. So, you know, if you wanted to say, um, and I use a meter reading example again, um, yeah, if you wanted to update your meter readings uh, on your computer, you normally have to like, sort of get your computer out, open it, log onto the web page, mm. sort of go to your meter. Um, but actually, Amazon Echo use is very different because I could just say, you know, and, and this is the nice thing as, as an idea is actually, what if you just walked up to Amazon Echo, um, you, know, you just walked up to it and went, oh, my meter reading is, you know, 3243, um, you know, please update, you know, energy company. Mm. Um, or you know, or things like this. You know, there's a lot more sort of quick instantaneity to these devices than 
you know, actually things we're doing before. So actually, um, you know, the, the tendency is always to sort of create experiences for users that are very sort of engaging and long-winded and mm. sort of a lot of skills when you open them have like an elongated intro. Um, uh, but actually think about sort of the fact that people might just be wanting to do this something really quick and really easy. They don't want to hear a, a, an extended spiel about sort of what they can do. Mm. And, you know, I, I was talking to somebody I related this to, you know, when you, you call up a company and you're like, I'm going to get through to a, 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 a customer service agent. Yeah. And you're like, I know, the, I know the options I need. It's like one, three and four. <laughs> and you, 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 know, you, you do one, three and four. And then you still have to sit and listen to a thing to say, <laughs> if you want to update this, please visit our website at www. And you're like, I know this. I don't need to just put me through to the person. <laughs> and then it's like, and then it's like, or you could use our mobile. And you're like, I just, I just, I know what I'm doing. Can you please <laughs> yeah. just let me get these options in and let me talk to the person? It's very frustrating actually because you know, Amazon Echo uses is very quick. You know, if you look at the requests we have, people say request, it's done. Mm. You know, they say never request, it's done. So if you remember at the start of this podcast, you know, we talked about 800 requests, mm. and you know, and actually, if it was four, you know, it works out maybe like two or three or four. In a clip, and actually, some clips we have, you know, like ten requests in a couple of minutes. Mm. Um, you know, the turnover is really quick. People say a lot of things, it responds. It's a very quick flowing thing. So actually, I think for designers, the thing to consider is actually to maybe get away from you know things we normally do, which like and how telephones are designed and and how website experiences are designed, where we have intros and we have lots of sort of sort of welcoming information. And actually, mm. say well, back to that getting things done. How do we let the user get this done? really quickly mm. um because actually the device is designed for that that's what these de- you know, these devices designed so you can bark something at it and it, <laughs> it jumps and does it for you yeah absolutely and, that's uh, I, sorry go on i don't think that's actually another sort of it's sort of hinted at in a paper again and and one of the one of the things is a paper you have a, a page limit mm. in, in for this conference that we submitted out so there's only so much you can cram in before you think i'm running out of uh space um but yeah Cool, and that conference is in Montreal, is it in April? It it, it is, yes. I'm uh, very fortunate. I actually get to present this as well, so I um, I have a nice little trip to Montreal. Uh, unfortunately, it's a working conference because I've candidly uh, signed myself up to do a lot of volunteering at conference. I've got twenty hours of work and wow. sessions to chair and a workshop I'm at. Um, so you know, where everyone's saying, "Oh, you're going to see Montreal," I'm actually pretty much going to see the inside of a conference center in Montreal <laughs> for time, but. Uh, I'm sure it's a very nice conference centre, so that's something. <laughs> Fantastic. I don't. Well, if 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 I hope it goes well, and and if it's um, recorded or anything like that, we can. Um, if the podcast is out by, it will be out by then. Uh, we can put the links um, to the conference if anyone's listening. We do have quite a lot of listeners in uh, in America, so if there's anybody around the Montreal area, okay. uh, we can link to that. Um, and yeah, if, if if the talk's recorded, we can get that on there as well. I'll put the link to the study in the show notes as well as an interesting article. Really written by uh, Stuart Reeves, one of the chaps who was involved in the study mm-hmm. as well on Medium, uh, which covers, um, yep. kind of glosses over quite a, quite a few bits that we've spoke about, so I'll put that in there as well. Um, any any other links that you'd want in there, and where can people kind of get in, t- in touch with yourself, Martin? Um, so the best place is probably uh, my website. Um, so I've got sort of, if I go to my website, there's a blog post sort of introducing the paper in perhaps a more, a more simplistic language and also the paper is on mm-hmm. there um, uh, as well and so that's porcheron.uk uh, so p-o-r-c-h-e-r-o-n dot uk um, uh, in, a, in a very sort of and it's a 2009-esque style it's, <laughs> I've, I've discovered everyone in academia makes a website at the start of their career <laughs> and then 
for 20 then they don't update their profile picture or anything um <laughs> so you have academics and i'm probably going to stick to that yeah. so in 50 years time i'll have the same website same profile very practical picture. Low overhead. Practical and <laughs> low overhead and denying reality, I think, as well, <laughs> perhaps sometimes. Uh, pretending you haven't aged. <laughs> fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Martin, for joining us. That's been a really interesting conversation, that, and some fantastic insights in there in terms of, um, you know, from the study and, and what what designers and developers can take into their um, into their designs and what brands can, can embrace as well. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Kane. Um, and uh, it's been wonderful to talk to you, actually. That was Martin Porcheron talking about his study into uh, Amazon Echo usage in the home. Thank you so much, Martin, for joining us. That was a massively interesting conversation and there was bags of stuff in there for designers and developers to take heed of. Um, never really heard of a study that's been done like that. Literally, I mean, we talk about context all the time and to be able to actually have all of that data to, to really understand the context in which people are, are in when they're using these devices and what happens before and after is is uh, you know massively interesting. Some of the things in there for designers and developers to, to, to um, you know pay attention to is in terms of silence when the device has been silent uh, for long periods. People perceive that as being a, a, a trouble or something going wrong. Uh, some tips in there around providing hints um, as to what went wrong and also some kind of uh, prompts as to what people can do next so if if you have a skill and people are using it and you you know something happens and you don't recognize what's happening give them a a prompt or or a next step something to do um, you know a way to proceed as opposed to giving them a dead end Um, designing for more than one person in mind bearing in mind that this device could well be used and it's probably going to be used in social settings with more than one person um given the skill names was a really interesting one i mean we've we've heard and when we spoke to vasily shinkarenka from storyline he was talking about how important your skill name is and there is evidence of that there in the study you know the families that were that were using this uh, echo device struggling to remember what the skill name was having to get out the mobile phone and look up the skill name and stuff like that so giving your skill a really easy memorable name um was really interesting and also how to design not for a conversation but design to get stuff done you know uh, that's a really interesting insight so trying to make things even if it is a request and response thing you know we don't might not need it to be a conversation um you know have the user in mind and, and try and have them you know try and kind of um, rather than being conversational, try and cater for a, a request and response kind of thing. Let people um, get done what they need to get done. And then also the last thing finally is catering for quick requests. So not having huge long intros and, and long prefaces and just trying to let people get into the detail of what they need to get done and then get out of there. It's like a, it's like a boxing jab. <laughs> Keep them on the end of the jab. In with the jab, out. In with the jab and out. Um, so thank you so much Martin Um, I hope you've all enjoyed this episode as much as I have it's been immensely interesting I'll put all of the links to the study and and, and Martin's contact details all in the show notes Um, and thank you all for listening and until next time see you later